Day 1, Year 100 of the Dawn Pondering the Bite It seems like a sad tree, like a mermaid whose hair has grown more golden than green and her body has turned more black than brown. Her arms have sharper twigs on them. She hears a lark and sees it fly away from her arms and she begins to cry because her leaves have gone. She stands still in the mist. Her arms dropped down because she knew what happened last year. George Gomez, age six. The music from the water. I held the fate of all humanity in my hands as I pondered the forbidden fruit. The apple of my wondering, the fruit of my desires, or so I thought, before the first bite, I pondered the opportunity of it all, but was completely unaware of the enormity of the outcome. How could I have known? I was, after all, the first woman on planet Earth. Who else can say that? The first woman. Cool, right? Not since that first bite. I've been blamed ever since that moment, but really, haven't we all held the apple from time to time? What would you have done? I, of course, didn't think of the numbers of people that might be affected. If I had, I wouldn't have taken that first bite. Or would I have? Does it matter how many people will suffer as long as we get what we want when we want it? And what was so bad about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil anyway? I wanted to know. Don't you want to know? Don't we all want to know? At least, that was what the serpent enticed me into believing, that I needed to know. And I believed the serpent, who was so incredibly convincing. Yes, he talked then. I know, I know, it's hard to believe, and some of you don't believe me. But frankly, what does that matter to me? These are my memoirs. This is what happened. The serpent didn't just talk. He would not shut up. I mean, he went on and on and on. Before you take me to the guillotine one more time, stop and think of the most enticing temptation you have ever faced, or the most convincing argument you have ever heard, and then, in self-righteous smugness, tell me that you would not succumb to it. This is how it was with the serpent's slimy words. He sugarcoated all of them into some kind of, this is the most delicious bite of your life, and you cannot miss this moment. As if this was the most important decision you'll ever make, and you'll be sorry if you don't make it right now. That nasty serpent filled me with his words of doubt and curiosity. Didn't God tell you? Eat of every tree in the garden. I replied that God had said we could eat the fruit of all the trees of the garden, except for the fruit of this tree in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
This tree, he told us. Actually, he told Adam, and then Adam told me. We are not to eat of its fruit, or touch it, or we will die. What is die, anyway? The serpent slithered back to me, enticing me with every seducing sentence. Why do you believe God? What does God know anyway? You won't die. No, in fact, it is the opposite. He gave you those rules because he is afraid that you will discover the truth. For God knows that the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. You, Eve, will know good from evil. Don't you want to have influence, wisdom, and power? Don't you want to know what's going on. Of course you do. You're a savvy woman of the world. Certainly God wouldn't keep anything good from you. How could I have known that those were lies spewing from his mouth? How could I have known that I might be responsible for bringing sin into the world? Sin that would bring a curse to all my offspring. I didn't even know what offspring were yet. As he wove his web of delicious lies before me, a subtle labyrinth that was drawing me deeper into its rotten core, all I could think of was, yes, how enticing it seemed to know good and evil, to decide for myself, to be like God. I am the first woman. I would be much more amazing if I knew everything. It's so small in the garden anyway, so confining. Was the grass greener on the other side? As if that could be possible. Later on, of course, after Adam and I realized for the first time that we were naked, and after we were cast out of the beautiful Eden, I wondered why on earth I would want to be like God when I was so well taken care of in the garden. I had no worries in the garden. But there I was, listening to the serpent's deceiving tongue. And I remember when I started to bite into his candy-coated apple full of worms. But at the time, I began to wonder what was outside of the garden. Why wouldn't I wonder? Do you blame me for wondering, or just for biting the forbidden fruit? Have you ever wondered what's on the other side of the fence? I believe you have, but if you haven't, you will. You are not that much different than I, it's just that I was the first. I had no one to follow, no one to tell me what to do, and no one to blame either. What I didn't understand is that I had a certain number of eggs inside of me, potential human beings that would be born through me. If I had stopped to take account of those beings logarithmically reproducing and eventually overpopulating a worn-out planet, 
I may have stopped for a moment to see the worm that existed in that first bite. But, as it was in the garden, well, you will have to join me now in my imaginary time travel device and transport yourself back to the creation of Adam and me, and imagine how it was for us, the first man and woman. For goodness sake, I woke up one day to find that I had been crafted from a rib, which forever pokes me in the side, of a man who was created from the dust of the earth. And after he was created, God said, It is not good for a man to be alone. Those are the Lord God's words, not mine. So, God then created me as a helper for Adam. I will touch on that point later. However, Adam keeps insisting he might be better off alone, but in my opinion, when he is alone for too long, he's up to no good at all. But what do I know? As far as many people are concerned, I don't even exist. Haha, <laughs> now that's a laugh. Okay, I don't want to lose you so soon, so let's say up to no good at all could be an exaggeration. But most men are better off with a good woman. And I was a good woman. I know you might not believe this, but I was. I was created perfectly, except for this one teeny tiny defect, if you want to call it a defect. I'm sure God calls it good, but it gets me into a lot of trouble. I was formed to have free will. So was Adam. Let's just leave it at that for now. So here I was, not even in existence, and the next thing I know, I'm forever defining my life around some man who is helpless without me. Of course, some believe I was a monkey or something like that, and <laughs> that's really funny and all, but I ain't no monkey. I can feel my smooth body, my soft skin, and if you ask Adam, he will tell you that I am nothing like the lumbering apes of the garden. I'm a hot female. I mean, the sizzling first woman. Wow. I was fashioned by a true artist, the creator of the universe. You can't get any more creative than that. I'm perfect. That is P-E-R-F-E-C-T. And I am in no way, never was, never will be, anything like a hairy, long-armed monkey. Though I do think some monkeys, friends of mine here in the garden, are adorable creatures. Now, Adam, well, I wasn't there when he was made. Maybe he was a wild, coarse-haired gorilla man, the first king of the jungle, beating his chest like Tarzan on the day of his creation. Hmm, now that I think about it, sometimes I look at him and I can see the resemblance. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. A few genes of DNA make a whole lot of difference between an ape and a real man. Anyway, there we were, the first he-man and she-man. Oops, I mean, man and woman. Where on earth did that woe come from? I didn't know what a womb was yet. Maybe that prefix has something to do with that small difference in our physical makeup that is so incredibly vital to all humanity. Later on, when I am written about in Genesis, I will be called Isha, 
because I was taken from a man, Ish. Of course, I didn't realize at first how cool our differences were. It was all so new and exciting, those first few weeks of, well, putting our bodies together like a puzzle. How fabulous it was. How completely enraptured I was in the union. Just me and my Adam, day after day, night after night, moving in rhythmic timing to the universe. If we had stayed in this state forever, we would have been fine, and I may never have been tempted to wander to the other side of the garden, to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It wasn't like the tree had a sign on it or anything like that. It was actually the best-looking tree in the garden, as is often true of the forbidden fruit we face. Admit it, it looks good. You ponder, you pick, you bite, then you suffer, then comes the curse. What is that nasty curse that I supposedly brought upon all my future daughters? Husbands and hormones, I like to call it. Not that husbands are a curse. No, don't get me wrong. Give me a chance to explain. Good husbands are a blessing. Believe me when I say that Adam is the best husband on the planet. Of course, he is the only one. <laughs> anyway, the first and only one for me. No, husbands are not the curse. It is the constant desire for one that I reckon to be a curse. But what do I know? I'm only the premier woman on the planet. Some think the curse means this, that we women want to control a man. Forget that. We are too busy searching for the perfect one. The real translation, in lay terms, is that a woman will desire a husband. And then, of course, people will think that the man is meant to rule over a woman as a corrective measure. Hmm, that's definitely not what I heard from God himself when we were cast out of the garden. The harsh rule of a husband over a wife is, sadly, the sin of human weakness, the one that turns the longing for a husband into something bitter. Many men will skew God's words and the meaning of the curse in order to rule over their wives in a most unpleasant and oppressive manner. The real meaning lost in translation, so to speak, will cause some men to lord over women for the rest of history, fearing that women want to control them, when really, women's sole desire for a man is to be loved by him, period. What every woman wants is to be loved. I still remember that day, that very moment, when I first pondered the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the one the Lord God had said not to eat of, and the thought that kept crossing my mind was, so many fruits. Were they apples? Were they pomegranates? How should I know? I was just formed like, what, a day ago, a month ago, last year? I should have been writing down the time from sunrise to sunset. I think I'll start now. Anyway, for the sake of offering a visual feast in this diary, I'll call them apples. And there were just so many apples to choose from. Big ones, 
small ones, green, yellow, red, pink. Their bouquet of aromas leapt from the tree's limbs where the apples were hanging. So delicious, sliding sensually into my nostrils, infusing my senses with perfume of a distant longing. Could there be anything more delightful and satisfying than what I had already experienced here in my Garden of Eden? Surely not. We, my Adam and I, had been given everything. Anything our souls, our bodies, our emotions had ever dreamed of. Did I say mind? Was it the tantalizing temptation of opening up my mind to know more of the creator's mind? Did I actually want to be a creator, not merely a counterpart and a caregiver? These could have been some of the thoughts going through my senses at that moment, as I considered the sheer number and variety of the fruits the serpent pointed out to me. Perhaps, but I'm not altogether sure. For whatever reason, the sensation I craved that led me to bite the forbidden fruit may have already been justified in my mind, as sharing in some part of the Creator's magic. Now I wonder, and I have tried to analyze, what might have been driving my decision. But at that moment, it was simply apples. Nothing but delicious apples. Much like how I and women after me, view men. So many, in such lovely display, such delightful variety. Why stop at just one? And why couple with one select man who ends up needing your attention night and day while often ignoring your needs? Why not enjoy different kinds of relationships? I thought then, as a future daughter of mine will point out later, when a girl marries, she exchanges the attention of many men for the inattention of one. Thank you in advance, Mae West. Many women's sentiments exactly, and mine at times. I was created to be a helper for Adam, which, believe me, gets old. And these feelings of yearning for supplemental diversities may have been deep in my array of longings when I viewed all that lovely fruit the fruit of the only tree that was off limits. Why did God even put the tree there, really? What was the point? To torture me? To torture Adam? Oh, believe me, Adam wanted the fruit just as much as I did. But you know how men are. Honey, what do you think about this? What's your opinion? They pretend to know it all, but somehow I think they wouldn't make a move without us. Or at least, this was how my Adam acted in the garden. What should we eat, honey? What should we do today? Or maybe it is a pretense to make his honey think he needs her. Or whatever works to make the wife happy. I'm sure this is the case from time to time, but God himself said that man innately needed a helper. Thus, moi. So where was I? Oh, yes. I must have wanted the fruit, and so did Adam. Perhaps part of our problem was a lack of distractions from the forbidden fruit. There were no cars to work on in the garden. There were no poker games, no golf. Ha, huh. golf. 
that game will never cease to puzzle me. Why perfectly sane men, and occasionally women, although I have no idea why, will try so hard to get a tiny ball into a little hole with an impossible amount of grass in between, interrupted by hilly mounds and sand traps. Okay, I get everything but the sand traps. Except this. What constitutes the winner? The winner is the one who gets that tiny ball into the little hole with the least amount of strokes. Now, do you see why I, as a woman, hate that game? I'll happily take the amateur golfer. Stroke all you want, baby, and then get it in the hole. Now you're heading towards home base. Oh, wait, that's baseball. That hasn't been invented yet either. Huh, you didn't think Eve would talk that way. Well, listen, we all think about it. As the mother of all, shouldn't I be allowed to bring it up? Besides, a man can learn all day long to find that exact spot to touch a woman that will drive her crazy. But if they know what a woman was made of, they would figure out how to touch her heart, which might take a myriad of different strokes, such as wildflowers, perfumed oils, and consistent compliments, fresh berries, and, and, and. Enough of that. Golf will not be invented in my lifetime, or so I hope. How many games have come and gone and have never been documented? Now that is a mystery. For Adam, here in the garden, there was no game. I was a sure thing. I had been created, especially for him, delivered into his arms. And where was the hunt? Where was the game? His ball, my hole. Well, you get the picture. Don't get me wrong, it was wonderful. Can you imagine a garden of happiness where there was no fear, no sin, no porno movies necessary, no where else have you put that thing? This was truly the playful arena of a delightful relationship, nonstop. Why then did I want more? Why did Adam want more, I wonder? as I ponder what has happened since. As an artist, I gave Eve the very essence of my fragrance, the ultimate Chanel. God. <laughs>